Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Synergy Cast. I am your host, Sonia Joffer, and on today's episode, I got to have a very important conversation with one of my really good friends, Neela Makani, who is a singer and activist, and she joins me today for a conversation confronting anti-Black racism in our South Asian and Ismaili Muslim community. We also unpack how the model minority myth plays a role in this and how we as South Asians benefit from privileges from being non black. We also discuss ways at the end which we can unlearn racism in our culture. So if you want to check out Neelam and follow her, you can do so on Instagram at Neelam underscore Makani. There's also a link to her YouTube channel in the episode notes where she posts a lot of her singing videos. So please go check that out and show her some love. Also in the episode notes, you'll find some black creators that were mentioned in today's episode. Also, Neelam and I learn a lot from these black creators, so we wanted to give credit where credit is due. Also, there will, there's some South Asian Instagram accounts where we also have learned some of the information that we've shared with you all today. Those are all in the episode notes as well. There's also some books that I've personally found to be very helpful in learning more about anti-racism. anti-racism. Um, So you'll find those books in the episode notes as well. And then there's also a link if you want to learn more about the model minority myth and where I got that information from in today's episode with the history and the historical context behind it. That link is in the notes as well. All right, everyone, that's it for the intro. I also wanted to put a content warning out there that we do discuss anti-black racism in today's episode. So please take care of yourself while listening because it can be pretty tough to listen to and might bring up some tough and challenging feelings as well. All right, everyone, I hope you all enjoy listening to today's episode and take away something as well from listening. Welcome to the show, Neelam. I'm so excited to have you on and for the listeners to kind of get to know you a little bit and also this conversation we're about to have. It's an important one. So welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I've been waiting to have this conversation with you, and I'm excited. Yes, of course. And just to start off with a little intro so the listeners can get to know you a little bit, what do you want to share about yourself to the listeners? So my name is Neela McKinney. I'm 20 years old, and I'm currently in my third year of my Bachelor of Social Work here at the University of Calgary in Canada. I am born in Canada, but raised a smiley Muslim, and both my parents are from Pakistan. A creative side of me, I've been singing for 12 years, so that's a fun fact. Um, but yeah, that's me. Yes, I love the singing, by the way. It's amazing. You are Thanks. a beautiful singer, so everyone go check her out. Plug it in at the end, just FYI. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely show her some love on that. But today we're going to be talking about some pretty tough topics, but some very necessary ones. I know we're going to talk about anti-Blackness in our South Asian community and how that shows up. But before we dive into that, how did you first come to even understand about this concept? I think I was always aware of how South Asian culture makes anti-Blackness evident. And I think I've noticed it more so through like microaggressions and small comments that like people in the community would make. Something as simple as like, I was out a few weeks ago getting groceries with my family and there was a group of people that were black and 
I noticed like others around that group of people were as they walked past them, they would start walking a little faster or clutch their purses a little bit tighter. And like, I've seen so much of that. And it's, it's crazy to think how small actions like that, that people might not even notice that they're doing are so problematic and so dangerous. Um, and I think it comes down to understanding why that's dangerous and why it's an issue. And I think even in like our South Asian culture, there's so many parts of our culture that inevitably pits South Asians against Black people. I think it's so important to understand what these kinds of things are, how to recognize them, and how we can change that. Yes, definitely. Thank you for bringing that up. I think you made some like really key points, like with microaggressions, that's very real. And just to understand that like Neelam and I are also very new to this, like we, we have been studying this with our school and stuff like that, but also like we keep on learning every day. So this is a learning process for both of us. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners can relate to that as well. So if we ever say something that's not, you know, accurate or something, we'll gladly own up to it. But this is just us like trying to have a conversation about something that's not talked about in our community a lot, but needs to be talked about. And like you said, especially with like everything going on in the world right now with the revolution and the pandemic, these conversations definitely need to be had. So yeah, I really appreciate you being here and being willing and open to have this conversation with me. Of course, I think it's important, you know, to be vulnerable and to show up in this way. And I think also to acknowledge that, you know, we don't know everything and that's okay. And I think once we get to a point where someone says, oh, well, I think I reached my peak of knowledge and I think I know everything there is to know about this topic. I think that's where you limit yourself from growing. So I don't think we can ever stop learning. And I think it's totally okay not to know things because we are also not experts. Yes, that's facts right there. There is no like expert level, like you've, you, you never complete your learning on subjects like this one, you know, it's, it's always a learning process every day you learn more and more. So yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up, brought that up. Because I feel like a lot of people are like, I just have to learn every single little thing. And I will, you know, know everything about this subject. But like, does anything in life operate that way? I don't really think so. So now we're going to kind of dive into some concrete ways and examples that we see anti-Black racism come up within our South Asian culture specifically. So some of the things that we definitely want to hit on is colorism. I know that in our culture, we are told that being light-skinned is more beautiful, being fair and white is definitely the beauty standard which comes from European beauty standards, definitely. And we'll dive into the history of that a little bit later on in this conversation. But yeah, just like the use of skin lightening creams, that brand Fair and Lovely, that's... It gets me so upset when I hear those words. (laughs) Just those two words, Fair and Lovely. It's like, why? Would not see a problem there? Like, hello? (laughs) You know, and like in our language we use those skin lightening creams to appear more gora, which means white. And that's literally like a a staple word that's used as like an adjective that we are constantly compared to, which is really problematic. Yeah. And uh, we're always told growing up, like, don't play outside too much because then you'll get really dark. And we're like, make sure when you're buying sunscreen, you buy like the highest because you don't want to like tan and like stay away from like tanning lotion. Exactly. Yeah. And so like from a very young age, even when you're just a kid and you're just like playing outside, you hear these 
you know, microaggressions or these racist comments from your family members and you're like, I'm just a kid. I'm just trying to play outside. Like, who cares if I get... I just want to build sandcastles and live my life. Like... (laughs) Exactly. Like, what is the standard that you're imposing on me? And also, like, I know I did this growing up and then also I've heard other kids do this too is we use the word kalu, which means black in our language as an insult towards our friends and siblings and and family members in our in our own communities when we're like trying to make fun of them or tease them we call them this word and that's so problematic now looking back at it as an adult knowing what I know now I'm like why didn't anybody like point that out when we were doing like like, why was that okay for me to say no one stopped me exactly yeah I've had family members tell me that we don't want you to marry a black man because think of your children's hair. And I would always challenge that and be like, what, what's going to happen to my children? They're going to have beautiful hair. Like that's a problem to you. (laughs) Yeah. They're going to have like this amazing hair. Like what's, what's the problem with that? And then my family members would be like, no, just like, you know, just, just, just think of it. Like it's, it's not going to be like, what? (laughs) and it's, I would always challenge them like with like, well, what do you mean by that? And then they would kind of like trip up on what they're saying they would be uncomfortable with trying to reword what they're saying. I would always point that out and be like, well, if you're uncomfortable even explaining this to me, then isn't there something wrong with what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so what are some other examples that you've seen and witnessed too? Well, even like the whole, in the South Asian community, I've also seen a lot of like, even if someone is not South Asian and you're associated with them, there's a lot of negativity around, oh, you're friends with someone who's black or, oh, you're dating someone who's white and they're not South Asian. So that's a problem. And, you know, like you can date them as long as you just don't marry them. And I like don't understand the double standards there. And also at the end of the day, I just don't understand why, especially in the South Asian culture, there's so much pressure and importance put on who you marry based on the color of their skin and completely overlook the fact like who they are as people. Like you want people to look at you for your heart and who you are and what you do, what you stand for and your values and not the color of your skin. Even saying it out loud, like doesn't that sound really fucked up? Yeah. I never understood that. I hear a lot in the South Asian community, like talking about Gala Jadu, which means black magic. And that's literally magic used for evil purposes. Now, if you think about that concept, that the words itself have such a negative connotation around it. So I don't understand how it's so normalized in our culture. And now it's like, I think our generation is starting to pick up on these things that our parents' generation never really understood why. And that's why it's important to have these conversations to unpack that for them because they might not see these things as problematic. But then the challenge comes with it that they've had this way of thinking for so long and it's like entrenched into our traditions and in our culture. And how do you, you know, unpack that and make it all disappear? And I don't think we can ever make it entirely disappear. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you bring up. I think the first thing is just the connotations behind black and white. So like, what do we think of when we hear the word black? It's always associated with, like you mentioned, black magic, like dirty, you know, like just things that are like like in movies and how they portray like, you know, a villain as like super dark and like an angel is like 
pure and white and you know exactly like white is seen as like oh innocence purity and like just those connotations behind those words in any language in english and even in our language urdu like you mentioned uh with black magic that's a very good point that i feel like a lot of people don't think about again like you mentioned because it's so ingrained in our everyday language and in our culture people aren't really conscious about the ways that we operate and and speak about these things which is very important too and it's problematic that you know kids are learning these things so early on i watched a video once it was a social experiment done with like little kids and they'd be given two dolls in front of them and one is a white doll and one is a black doll and they're asked the question of which one do you think is good or bad and just having that idea in your head of okay well I've always seen white be associated with good so I'm going to go with white is good and black is bad and that already is creating such a problem in the mentality that these kids are going to grow up with exactly yeah it's like literally starts with toys like children's toys if you like look at that i i hope and i think that now it's getting a little bit better Mm -hmm. i still think there's a lot of problematic things with the way toys are represented to kids now but definitely when we were growing up that was really problematic i remember there being just majority like white or like fair skin dolls Mm -hmm. And then, like, there was only, like, a handful of, like, black or darker-skinned dolls, and those would always be, like, put at a very low price, and just the way that it's, like, marketed to you. Or even, like, now, in the past, like, five years, I think, don't quote me on that, but the selection of, like, foundation shades and makeup companies and how their ranges of foundations for some companies would be, like, only for people who are light-skinned and people who are dark skinned would have such a problem trying to access these things. So even things like that, we don't think about as much. Makeup is a form of art and how someone represents themselves and expresses themselves. And even that, if you think about it, that is limiting a person into expressing who they are because it's not accessible sometimes. Exactly. It's like not inclusive at all. So like not only what does that bring up, but mentally and spiritually what does that do to one's spirit and Mm -hmm. mind when they don't see themselves represented on a screen or they don't they want to go out and buy this like foundation but their shade is not even an option well what would that do to one's spirit i yeah imagine and like even in south asian culture there's like this big idea of beautifying our skin and you see all these advertisements like my mom will play you know, Indian TV all the time. And you see these like commercials for fair and lovely and whatever for your skin to make it beautiful and light and radiant. And like, you know, recently I thought of how do you, how do we see this in like our traditions more so? And thinking about South Asian weddings and how we have the whole BT ceremony and that's where the bride gets haldi put on her and like creams and it's a form of beautifying and there are a lot of other significances around the ceremony, which I completely understand and honor, but that idea of purifying and whitening your skin before you get married or making yourself look radiant and beautiful, even that just makes me so uncomfortable because I think about why am I being given something to put on my skin to make me look more beautiful as if 
I'm not beautiful already. And that idea gets put into our heads all the time, especially like in South Asian culture. So I think even though, you know, the ceremony obviously has a lot of significance to it and it's important to the culture, I think there are ideas of colorism rooted beyond that. Exactly. Yeah. And I think like because we appreciate our culture so much, that's why we criticize it constructively in this conversation, because we love our culture. We know our culture can be great and do these great things. But to love and appreciate our culture is to also hold it accountable when it is problematic and when it especially when it involves like human life and you know, degrading other human beings just because of the color of their skin or their cultural background. That's something that we were always taught in our religion, especially of Islam. Mm -hmm. I remember learning in our religious education classes growing up that Prophet Muhammad, which is one of the most famous prophets in our religion of Islam, he always preached to his followers that if you don't love and appreciate your neighbor, who's different than you, then you are not a Muslim. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Prophet Muhammad literally preached accepting everybody around you, no matter where they come from and what they look like, but in our culture, there's still this problematic racism and anti-Blackness. That's what confuses me, because I'm like, everyone, y'all are forgetting these roots, you know? love how you said like it's important to criticize our culture because we're part of it and we love it and there are a lot of discrepancies in islam between what one person says and another person says and will believe one thing and then do another thing and i will never understand why and there's so many double standards there's this idea of being different is bad and I will never understand that because we live in such a diverse world. And even within our culture, there's a lot of diversity within South Asian culture. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. But this idea of being different is wrong or having a difference of opinion is wrong. I think a lot of people think these things, but they're just scared to say anything about it. Exactly. Yeah. And like we feel these things for a reason. Like our feelings are valid. Like the reason why we feel like literally so uncomfortable when some of our family members make these microaggressions or we see this or hear them like say racist things against black people or other people that are not a part of our community mm-hmm. it literally makes you feel gross inside you're like what why why like this is like sometimes you don't even have words for it you're like that just made me feel really icky and i don't even have words for why It blows my mind every single day that we live in a world and this is still an issue. And it's always been an issue. And I think because it's so deeply rooted within traditions and our culture and our everyday lives, it's going to be hard to unpack. And I don't think we could ever fully unpack and erase this, like in a perfect world, maybe. Definitely. Yeah. And I think um, you make a really good point. And I think this really transitions well into this next thing that we wanted to talk about about like, where is this coming from? Like, what is the history behind this anti-Blackness? And obviously we cannot address everything in this one single episode, but Mm -hmm. I think one main thing to highlight is the model minority myth, because Mm -hmm. that's something a lot of Asians, especially South Asians, benefit from. And it's actually this myth, and we're gonna kind of unpack that now, because this model minority myth, what it actually does, 
it pits us Asians against black people and it's perpetuated by white supremacy. So it literally was created by white people and colonialism to pit Asians against black people in this systemic and structural way. And, and something famous that we hear a lot of people in our community say is if we can make it in this country as immigrants, then what's black people's excuse? Mm -hmm. And that's that problematic quote that we hear all the time in our community. It stems from this model minority myth. So yeah, like what are what are some of your thoughts on that before we dive into like the historical context of it? I think that quote specifically, I've heard that so many times. I think it just comes down to that lack of understanding that we can't compare people's struggles. We see it being done all the time. Like something as simple as I've had conversations with people in my everyday life of, you know what, I'm having a bad day today. And they will come to me and say, well, if you think you've had a bad day, listen to what I had to go through. And it's just that comparison of that struggle. And I never understood why people do that. I'm not saying that you're not struggling. It reminds me a lot of how people say black lives matter and all lives matter. Like, I think that concept and that idea is still the same. Well, we're not saying the struggle of South Asians don't matter, but we're just saying right now the focus needs to be shifted a little bit and that's okay. Like we need to create space for that and hold space for that. And I think just understanding that you can't compare one person's trauma to another person's trauma because ultimately you're invalidating their experiences and imagine what that kind of does for a person's self-esteem, their confidence and their existence as a human being. You're ultimately dismissing that, you know what, you don't matter right now or your experience is not important and, and your feelings aren't valid and we never want to make someone feel that way. I think that's a really beautiful point that we can't compare our struggles because we can only speak from our individual experiences. I only know what it's like to be me. I don't even know what it's like to be other South Asian people. I just know what it's like to be Sonia Jaffer. That's it. Yeah. And yes, I am South Asian and I am a smiley. But again, I can't even compare my own experiences to other people in my own cultural community. So then how can we even begin to compare our experiences and challenges to people outside of our cultural community, especially with black people and indigenous peoples who have their history and their struggles, like we mentioned, can't even begin to compare at all. So I, I like how you bring that up too. Yeah, and I think that we also have to be willing to give people space to share. And if we're not willing to do that, how are we supposed to learn and correct our own mistakes and be able to show up in a way where we can improve how we show up in our lives? And if we're not willing to create space for other people's experiences, I don't think we can ever do that. Exactly, we have to listen. If you don't know like where to start, and I know we're gonna address this like at the end of the episode, like how to get started if you don't know what to do. But I think it's what you mentioned, it just starts with just listening. Just listening and being open-minded and having that humility to acknowledge your own privileges and yeah. where they come from and just be aware of that because even though we have these conversations, we still benefit from the privileges. Absolutely. <laughs> That we absolutely have yeah non-black like every day we benefit from those privileges so 
we are still like a part of that problem because we benefit from that all the time. But I think it does start with just having conversation. I think that can be very powerful too. So that's why I'm really happy that we're taking time to do that today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But so now we're going to kind of dive into like the history and the historical context behind the model minority myth, because I think that's very, very important to highlight on where that came from. It really started with the civil rights movement. And with the civil rights movement, we know that Black people fought for that. They literally had a huge role in that and, and winning those acts that were passed. There was a lot of acts that were passed with that movement. There was the Civil Rights Act. I think there was that the Voting Act as well. But there's also this one act that kind of gets looked over and glossed over in history a lot. And it's the 1965 Immigration and Nationality Act. So this act came with the civil rights movement. But what happened with this act is it kind of decreased the racial bans and against immigration, and they were kind of lifted off. Because before this act was introduced, there was quotas on how many immigrants from non-European countries could immigrate to the US. Mm -hmm. So after this act passed, those quotas were removed, and it basically opened up immigration but from mostly Asian countries. And this is important to highlight because the only reason why the U.S. really wanted to open up their immigration to Asian countries was because there was a bunch of labor shortages after the Vietnam War in the U.S., specifically in the medical field and science-related fields like engineering. So for this reason, the U.S. specifically sought after medical professionals and engineers from Asian countries. So they opened up the gates, but only for Asian immigrants who came from these privileged backgrounds of medical professionals and engineering. Like I mentioned, this act focused on only bringing privileged people from Asian countries in, instead of allowing immigrants who come from economically diverse backgrounds. So that's a problematic thing in and of itself. And this is also the reason why, like, South Asians are always stereotyped as being like the doctors or being the engineers. It's because of this, like, exactly because of this. And again, these positions were only sought after because of the Vietnam War and the shortages that were, were experienced in the U.S. because of that. So I think that's the, one of the main reasons why the model minority myth exists, mm -hmm. that South Asians are seen as this model minority. It's because we were literally sought after by white people in the U.S. to fill in these shortages. So I yeah. think that's, like, very important to highlight. And, like, even when you talk about the stereotypes, I we hear this all the time of South Asians get given five options, you know, when you're in school of you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can be an engineer, or anything in those fields. And the arts are ultimately looked down upon because people don't think that, you know, oh, well, you're so privileged and you're so smart and you should be in these professions and not the other ones. Um, and I think that's where this idea of perfectionism also comes into play in the model minority myth, because it's placing these unrealistic expectations on South Asians to be the most excelling and the most successful. And that's a very problematic mentality, because then I think it places so much pressure on kids who are in school saying, well, if I don't get an A+, my family's going to freak the fuck out. And it's 
basically saying, well, your worth and success only comes from your profession and the grades you get in school. And there's so much to say about who a person is and from the values that they have and their experiences, not from whether they've passed Econ 101. And it took me also a really long time to unpack that for myself. And I'm blessed to be able to say that, you know, my family was never really like that when it comes to school of, we want you to excel and we want you to do your best. But if you do your best and to society standards, it's not perfect. That's okay because you're allowed to make mistakes. And my dad always tells me like, it's okay to fail, but I encourage you to embrace your fail. And like, there's a concept from Brene Brown that I like to think about a lot is failing forward. Lean into that discomfort and lean into your failures because ultimately that's how you learn from them. And I think that this idea of perfectionism in South Asian culture is such a big thing. I've heard so many conversations in you know our culture and with people saying, oh, well, did you hear so-and-so is a doctor? And did you hear so-and-so is an engineer? And did you hear so-and-so has so much money? And it just comes down to being so superficial. And I'm like, why are we not talking about the fact that this person just did something amazing in their career and they're advancing their lives and being just amazing people and not comparing who has an Audi and who has a Ben? The reason why we reap these benefits of being the model minority is because of black people. Yeah, like we're here because of them. And exactly. And we are reaping the benefits of their hard work that they put into the civil rights movement. And they don't, black people don't even get to reap those same benefits. So I think that's also why it's important to like talk about this and be aware of it. But then like you mentioned too, not only does it pit us against black people it also pits us against each other like in our own community and that's like so so problematic like we literally are pitted against each other as well I think it's also coming down to understanding where this mentality comes from and not just South Asians but most to all immigrant parents or you know people in general you've had to overcome some sort of struggle to get to where they are and South Asian immigrants you know, you hear this all the time of when we came to this country, we came with little to nothing. And we have provided this life for you. And you have all these great things now. And now we want you to be successful. And we want you to achieve things that we never got the chance to achieve. And although it's a very, I think it it can be such a powerful idea and mentality of it can motivate you to be someone and get education, maybe if your parents never got the opportunity to do that. And That's something that motivates me all the time. You know, the idea that I have the ability to do that every day and not even have to think twice about that is such a blessing and it's such a privilege. And I think that idea comes from, well, our parents had to overcome a struggle to get us here. And now we have to be these perfect people. And there is a lot of guilt that comes along with it. You think, well, if I don't succeed or if I don't do as well, then all of my parents' hard work was for nothing. So I think that's a lot of pressure for first generations. That's, that is so relatable. Like, that is something that I've had to work through in my own therapy, because Mm -hmm. I had a lot of guilt, still do, but working on it. um, That comes up with like, you know, the sacrifices that our parents made. And like, the more I listen to like, 
my parents' immigration story and their childhood and how much they had to give up just so that I could have this life and this access to the education I have now, there's so much guilt that comes up with that. Like, why do I deserve this? And my parents didn't, or why do I deserve this? And other people around the world right now don't. And I think something that was very key for me that shifted my perspective on this, which you just mentioned too, is shifting from guilt to gratitude. Mm -hmm. That was like a key thing in my life. that I was like, I learned in therapy that instead of feeling guilty to start feeling gratitude for what I have and start to again, be aware of my privileges that come from my access. And then also what I can do with that to push things forward and kind of give back in a way to people that maybe don't have that access as well. So I think that's a very important thing that you touched on is like being grateful for what you have and what you can do with what you have to make the world a better place. And like, I, one thing I, you know, started doing a few years ago is when I journal, I make sure I have like a whole spread in my journal of a gratitude list. And every time I'm feeling stressed about something or I am, you know, upset, I just go back to that list and I will write down three things I'm grateful for every day before I go to bed. And if I'm going through a rough time and I go back and I read that list of so much that I have that I'm grateful for, it makes your problems seem so insignificant. And, you know, at the end of the day, they are struggles that we all go through and they're important and it's important to feel that. But it's also important to step back and say, well, my life could be a lot worse right now. And there are people that are fighting for things that I have and I don't even have to think twice about it. And I liked what you said about, you know, using that gratitude to move forward and, you know, try to make the world a better place. I have this internal battle with myself of as a social worker and even as a person, I want to make this world such a magical place to be in. And, you know, I want everyone to get along. But realistically, I have to tell myself all the time that I can't save the world as much as I want to. And my personal like measure of success I like to use especially in this field because I've seen a lot of heavy things I've worked with clients who have come from unimaginable things and they're you know I'm sitting with them I think well I can't fix everyone I can't help everyone unfortunately that's the reality of this work and I always tell myself that if I can make one person's life a little bit more manageable than it was before, that's one more person on this earth that has their heart a little bit less heavy. And this same mentality can be applied like in so many areas of life. I know we talk about being anti-racist and if we can slowly have these conversations with at least one more person, then that's one more person than before. And we can't make everybody anti-racist. And as much as we want to, that's, that's a reality I also really struggle with that I we can't change how other people think but my sister always tells me this and I live by this I can't control other people's reactions to things and what they do in their life but I can control what I react to things and how I react to things so I think you know what realistically let's fight one battle at a time exactly I think that's a really good point and that's like something that I've had to struggle with too being a therapist myself is like in the beginning it's like I just want to help everybody. And I just you want to come into this profession being like so bright eyed and naive, like, oh my God, I'm going to save the world. And then you're like, this is not saving the world. This is not what I signed up for. Because yeah, then there's a savior complex, which yes. actually is like really problematic. If you think that you alone can save everybody, 
that is that savior complex. And that actually will, you will be perpetuating the same systemic race problems that you are trying to avoid, but you will unconsciously be perpetuating that same problematic way of thinking if you think that you yourself can save the whole world. And also, it's impossible. It's like an impossible standard to put on yourself. And that's why I love with this movement, the Black Lives Matter movement that's going on right now, everybody has their own role to play. And everybody has their own strengths and their own talents. Like me and you, we're mental health. So we're trying to push things in the mental health area because that's our niche. But there's other people out there that are like artists and like they're making songs and creating songs with this message and creating art and like paintings and posters and like infographics on social media. Like everything that, every role that you can play, find your talent, find your niche and figure out how you can play a role in pushing this movement forward. And I think that's what's beautiful about it is that everybody has their own thing that they contribute and you don't have to like do everything. You can just do what you're good at and and contribute that way too. And I think that especially when like the Black Lives Matter movement exploded, there was a lot of people that I knew that were not really talking about it or not really interested and I, I'm like well this isn't an interest this is not something you should be interested in it should be something that everyone plays a role in and you know I've had conversations with people and they, they would tell me well I don't really have much to add to the conversation and that right there I think it's such a barrier right off the bat because you know you're not giving yourself enough credit for what you do and I love how you said about the artists and people close to me, they rap. And I know like one of my best friends, he's a rapper and he wrote a lot of pieces relevant to Black Lives Matter. And I think that's so important because I'm like, well, you have this amazing platform, use it to do amazing things and use your voice. Even though you think you're one small person, I think everyone is meant to be here and put on this earth for a reason. And even if you don't know that reason yet, find that reason, lean into that, explore that reason and use that to do better. And I love that message. So thank you for that. That was amazing and super inspiring. Before we, I know we're going to dive into a little bit about call to action and how we can Mm -hmm. unlearn. But before we dive into that, for listeners that do not know what the model minority myth is or have just started to learn. Cause I know that we both also are very new to understanding this concept yeah. as well. I feel like a lot of listeners can relate to that. So what helped you come to understand the model minority myth a little bit better? And maybe listeners can also try that as well. Yeah, I think for me, it was, I always knew that there was this idea of perfectionism and South Asians like benefiting from other people and I never really knew that there was a name to it and I will own up to the fact that I only learned about this very recently like this past year that that it's called the model minority myth and I was like well I've never heard of that but these concepts sound very familiar and I think it's because we grew up in a world where it was second nature to us to be perfectionist and I think that's something I struggle with on a daily basis. I'm perfectionist because of these ideas that I was like surrounded by as a kid. And that's something that I struggle with on a daily basis because I'm like, well, I want to be a perfectionist, but it really, it, 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 it impacts your mental health and it impacts how you show up 
in everyday life doing certain things that are really important to you. And I think the biggest thing is just to have conversations and be willing to learn. I was excited to learn about this because it's something that's so evident in our culture. And the more I learned about it, the more problems I found within our culture around it. And I think just understanding that and being open to learn, you can explore this whole world of, oh my God, I didn't know this and that's so cool. But now how am I supposed to integrate this into my everyday life and do better with the information that I know? Also, I feel if you're listening and you want to learn more about the model minority myth, I put a link in the episode notes as a reference to some of the historical context that I was mentioning today too. So there's a link in the episode notes to that if you want to check that out. Also, you can just do a simple Google search and just Google model minority myth and just like read whatever comes up. There's also some really cool South Asian Instagram accounts that talk about it, which we'll mention uh, at the end of the episode too. So yeah, that's just, if you want to learn more, those are just a few resources out there as well. But yeah, it does start with having the conversations and being open-minded, like you mentioned in the first place, to even be in a place to absorb that information. You have to be in a place in your life where you're okay with getting into topics that are uncomfortable. I think self-care is very, very, very important when it comes to talking about things like this because it can trigger a lot of people. It can bring up a lot of trauma. Going into these conversations, knowing that when something gets a little heavy, it's okay to take a step back. One thing I do want to say for everyone listening is make sure that you are taking care of yourself because especially right now with a global pandemic going on and we are always on our phones and you know I'll open up Instagram and I'll see some other terrible thing that has happened in the world every single day and I've started to incorporate into my life like I take time off from my phone and from Instagram and just you know take time to exist not in this virtual reality that is created for us and it's important to learn to take care of yourself and integrate these self-care habits of going on a walk and just being very open and present in where you are. I found journaling has helped me so much just to work through a lot of things and I sing. So having that as well as an outlet. So everyone I think has something that you can find that resonates with you that you can do for self-care because I think in order to show up in these conversations and be productive, you also have to be in a mental and physical state of I can handle this and I can do this. And if you're not in that place yet, I don't think these conversations can be productive. I love self-care. I love talking about it. Listeners probably know already how much I love talking about self-care. I have a whole class in my first year of university literally on how to take care of yourself. And I was like, this is great. I was like, I picked a great profession. This is amazing. Yeah, I'm literally being taught this in class, which is so, so cool. I love that you bring it up. Because it's always relevant in every conversation, especially with this work that we're doing with the revolution, the Black Lives Matter movement, pushing the boundaries, having these tough conversations with people. It takes energy and it's exhausting. I know just like having a conversation with one of my family members or one of my neighbors that yeah it takes a toll on you it's like very emotionally mentally spiritually physically exhausting i literally feel tired after i have a conversation like this with 
one of my family members or community members. So to do self-care not only will help you out, but it'll also help you show up better and do this work better too. For the- I know like me and you had conversations a few months ago, like we would check in on each other and be like, make sure you take care of yourself like <laughs> in a rough week. Um, so I think that's also something really picking and choosing who I keep in my life that understand mental health because it's such a big part of my life and I want to talk more about it and I want people to understand it a lot more but I can only do that with the support of my friends and my family that also understand it or if they don't understand it yet are willing to learn and I've had people when I tell them I get anxious people have been like well it's just a bad day, like, brush it off, like, go to sleep, you'll, like, you'll be okay. And the difference now of people in my life, when I tell them, like, hey, I'm feeling really anxious today, they'll say, okay, like, what's going on? Let's talk about it. And that I've seen such a difference in my interactions with people and just the way I, like, show up every day of, I feel very supported. And I think that's really important. Find people that you feel supported by so you can do this work and so you can be yourself and show up fully as yourself and have these productive conversations yeah like it's it's all about the people around you you know I believe that I'm a reflection of the people I keep around me absolutely like the way I personally have experienced myself um (laughs) just throughout life so I, I agree with that wholeheartedly because like you can only hold yourself accountable for so long that personal bias will take over And when you have people in your life that are willing to hold you accountable with love and say like, hey, I noticed that you're overworking yourself. Did you get yourself caring today? I I love that when my friends tell me that. It's like, oh my God, yes. Like I'm a little defensive. I'm like, who are you and why are you telling me this? But then I'm like, oh, maybe you're right. Like maybe I do need to get more sleep and not function on two hours every day. Like it's probably a good idea. Yeah, you're, at first you're like, wait, like, what do you, what do you want to say, bro? Like, yeah. what is this right now? And then, like, once you sit with it, you're like, wait a second, I really needed to hear that, so thank you. I won't tell myself that, so I needed someone else to tell me. <laughs> exactly. I love that. All right, so now we're going to kind of talk about ways we can unlearn everything that we've been discussing so far, because we highlighted some key facts about anti-blackness within our South Asian culture but now how can we unlearn that and where do we start with moving things forward with that so I think there's this really good quote that I found from an Instagram user at Tafi Yan and I will link them in episode notes too but they released this post the other day that said South Asian societies are still recovering from the colonial era influence of associating white people as superior, and Desi kids are often brought up with that mentality. Mm -hmm. So in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, it's important for us to educate ourselves about racist beliefs in our culture and try to put a stop to them. And I think this quote is like super important, and it highlights what we were mentioning before, that our South Asian countries and culture have experienced colonization from the British Empire. So we are still, a lot of this anti-Blackness within our culture is rooted from the colonial era influence because during the colonization period of India and Pakistan, people were literally taught in our community that white is right. 
white is superior. And that's where a lot of this light-skinned, you know, like beauty standards comes in. That's why our parents and our family members and our community have these values that are racist and colorism as well. Even like in Canada, you know, I know even though we live in two different countries, I think the problems are the same. This is not just a U.S. problem or it's an everywhere problem. And even that idea of like Eurocentrism in Canada and how we live on the land of the indigenous peoples, yet, like you said before, like the same concept that black people fought so hard for these rights that they don't get to reap the benefits of. And similar to here, how this is the land of the indigenous people that we are on, but they don't get to reap the benefits of that. So it's a, it's not just a, it's not one person's problem. It's a, it's a society problem. Exactly. I love how you point that out. And that's why I like how we're having this discussion because you can give the Canadian perspective and side and then I can bring a little bit of the U.S. side. Obviously, we don't represent the entire I don't represent the entire U.S. and you don't represent the entire Canada. (laughs) It's cool that we come from, you know, the separate country so we can like give a little bit of perspective on on our each respective cultures and that too. So I think that's really cool. Also, I think like if you don't know, if you're listening and you don't know where to start, like we mentioned before, I think it just starts with just listening, especially Mm -hmm. listening to black people in your life, especially when they ask for what they need and tell you what they want from us. Like, again, they are not in any way expected to teach us everything we should be seeking out this information on our own and we will provide some resources for you all to do that but if black people in your life are reaching out to you and asking for what they need and and what they want listen you know listen keep an open mind and again see what you can do in your power to achieve that and like we mentioned before doing anti-racism work and incorporating it into everything that we do and in all aspects of our lives, not just in the workplace, but also in our homes, in our neighborhoods, having those conversations and calling out anti-Black and racist things that we hear and see relatives, friends, and community members doing. I want to stress on it because it's so important. This is not just something you do for a week or a month or two months. And when it stops trending on social media and you don't see any more black squares, you think, oh, maybe it's over. Like I can just do whatever now. It's it's part of who you are and make it a part of who you are and put in that effort. You want to be that person that is doing this work. You want to be that person that is fighting for other people's rights. I think that's so powerful that we as humans have the opportunity to do that. So why wouldn't you want to? Exactly. Yeah. And like, if you find yourself burning out, maybe you haven't been doing self care, you know, but like, again, go rest, do your self care, but then come back and show up. Because like you said, this work is never ending, it'll always be relevant. So I really like that you brought that point up. That's definitely true. Another thing that I feel like I really need to mention. Let's Let's open this can of worms. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, brown people, desi people, anyone who is not black, just stop saying the N word. Just please stop saying it. Okay. Um, I am also guilty. I used to say it. I had this like self enlightening moment where I was just like, 
wait a second, I need to stop saying this word because I am literally perpetuating the same problems that I am trying to fight against in the world. So I think I used to say it when I was little because I thought I could say it because I was not white. So I was like, well, I'm, I'm a person of color. I can say this word. And then I think I used to say it because a few black people in my life gave me that quote unquote pass to say yeah, that. or you felt like it was okay to say it when you were with them and not around other people. And we've talked about this before. If you feel that you have to be careful of a word you use and only use it in certain contexts, and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable of, oh, well, I can't really use this word everywhere. Maybe you shouldn't be using the word at all. Exactly. And like, if you have been saying it, or you did say it in the past, or you're still using that part of your vocabulary now, it's never too late to stop. Like, learn about the history of this word. The N-word is literally rooted in anti-Black racism, and it literally was created to be used as a tool to dehumanize Black peoples and justify violence against them and their enslavement and imprisonment. It's a controlling term, and why would you want to use that? Like, after, you know, learning about why it's so problematic, I still can't understand why anyone would use that word in their everyday life. But then I also have to say to myself, well, maybe they don't know better, but that's also not an excuse to continue using it. And so if multiple people have told you and you know that this is not a word that you should be using, learn about it. And it's okay to be wrong and it's okay not to know. And that, that's how we that's how we grow as people, making mistakes. And that is okay. Yeah, take accountability for it. Like I just did. Like I am ad- openly admitting that I used all I've used it too. Oh. And not knowing, like this, I, I you know, when I, I used to use a word in the sense that like I had friends who would say it and I'd be like, okay, well, if they're saying it, then I, I can say it too. Like it's just us. And like I said, like if you can say it in certain contexts and not others, maybe you shouldn't be using that word at all. And it felt very uncomfortable to say knowing that this was a term that it's not a nice term. It's used to control people. So after I said that, I was like, I don't like how it made me feel. And I don't think I want to do that again. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I think I feel like a lot of people are like, well, black people get to say it. So why can't we? And I think that's different, right? Because when black people choose to use the N word, that's their choice. And they have every right to use that word because I feel like a lot of Black people use that word as a way of taking back the power. Their power that was... Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, like The use of that word for them is a choice and it's also something that they use to own back their power that was taken away from them. Yeah, it's very similar to how women use the word bitch when they are like talking friendly with another female. Yeah. Uh, but when a man says that, when a male says bitch or calls a woman a bitch, it's like, hell no. Absolutely hell no. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's like very similar to that's that. That's a good way to put it. I've never thought of it that way. But yeah, I know, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that's it's it's a little bit similar in the sense where like, I use that word a lot when I talk to my girlfriends. I'm like, what's up, bitch? But like, yeah. it's friendly, right? Cause, and it's because the word bitch was, again, used throughout history by males, by the patriarchy, to dehumanize females and to put them yeah. down. So now 
I use that word to gain that sense of empowerment. It is, it is empowerment. You, the same way that, you know, if we use that word, it's, it's empowering to us because we're using that in the sense to gain back that power that was taken away from us. It is not acceptable for any non-Black person to use the N-word, no matter what the circumstances. I don't care if it's in a song lyric. I don't care if it's in a movie. I don't care if you're reading out loud from a book. I don't care what the context is. Do not say that word. It's never okay to say it. It is, and don't say it. Just don't say it. And the last thing I'll say on this is like, we as non-Black people do not have that same history Mm -hmm. that Black people do with this word. So it is never okay for us to say it. And if you are a non-Black person and you still continue to use the N-word, that is racism. You are racist and you are upholding the same systems of white supremacy that has been used against Black people for centuries. So please don't say it. We we don't want to be a part of that. We want to be on the right side of history here. Absolutely. So that, that's all I'll really say on that. <laughs> like, I think... Many people I know also say, well, I know the history behind the word, so it's okay for me to use it. And, like, it goes back to what you were saying. Like, that's far beyond from okay because that history and that experience is ultimately theirs. And we did not go through what they did. And we did not experience what they did. So regardless of whether you know the history or not, if you know the history, that's more the reason for you not to use it. If you understand that this is a problem. And, like... Something I've noticed in my personal life is that there's a lot of people in my life that are very heavily influenced by Black music and Black culture. And these were the same people that were using the N-word. And earlier on in the year, I took it upon myself because I love to save the world, apparently. (laughs) And I was like, you know what, I'm going to have a conversation, just a casual conversation about it and ask people like, okay, well, you're someone who is very, very influenced by Black culture. And these are the same people that, you know, didn't quite understand the Black Lives Matter movement or were speaking up much about it or open to having conversations. And at the end of the day, I think a learning thing for me was, well, I would go on social media and see, you know, oh, this person hasn't posted about it, or this person hasn't really said anything about it or whatever. And I also took a step back and thought about that. Of why might they not be posting? And why might they not want to have conversations about this? And at the end of the day, I know that everyone shows up very differently. Some people are very, very vocal on social media about things. I know I definitely was. I know you were as well. And we both still continue to be very vocal people. That's just who we are. But some people don't function that way. And it's okay. It's not about, oh, you didn't post a black square on your timeline for Black Lives Matter. So I'm not going to associate with you anymore. That's not how it should be. And that's not how it is. Because everyone understands and processes trauma and hard things in very different ways. And I think it comes down to understanding that before you judge someone. And I was guilty of doing that. I was very confused as to why this is the same person that is very influenced by Black culture. So why have they not said a word about it? And I've had conversations with those same people and they've come back to me and said, well, I didn't really know much about it. And I wanted to learn before I spoke up because I didn't want to say anything that was wrong. Mm -hmm. And 
that I thought was a very mature answer to it because I'm like, okay, well, you're willing to learn and you know that you've been impacted by the culture in some way. And I think that's great that you want to learn. But then on the other hand, there were people that I tried having these conversations with and I was left unread by a lot of people. And that just went to show me like the difference of one person's willing to learn and another person really just doesn't give a shit. It makes me think, okay, pick and choose your battles. Who is really worth having these conversations with? And I'm not saying, you know, if someone's racist, let them be racist. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be very cautious of how you have those conversations and how much energy you spend into these conversations. I think there's a lot of people in my life that regardless of how draining it might be, I will continue to have those conversations because I know that there's going to be a point where they come around to understanding. And I know, and I can see that, which is why I don't stop. Other people, I have to form boundaries with myself. And I think we, me and you love to talk about boundaries. <laughs> there's other people that they have this wall up of this is something that doesn't affect me. I don't think it affects me. It's not, I'm not black, so it doesn't matter to me. I'm living my own life. And that's, that's privilege talking. And I had to think about that and be like, okay, is this person worth having a conversation with? And at the beginning, I really thought that it was important to have these conversations regardless with who it is. And I still think that's true. But for your own sake and your own mental health, it's okay to not engage with people who are not open to learning and open to understanding. Because then at that point, you are knocking on a door that is never going to open. And that's, it's really unfortunate. It is that, you know, certain people don't want to learn or don't care enough to learn. But at a certain point, you have to let that go and focus your energy on, you know what, there's a group of people in my life that do want to do this work and do want to learn. Let me focus on that. And maybe eventually other people will come around to it on their own time and at their own pace. And not everyone is going to think the same way we do. And I've had a really hard time understanding that in my life. I want everyone to be on the same page as me all the time, have the same mentality as me, but not everyone is going to show up at the same place at the same time. But when they show up, they show up and that's what matters. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, it's great to post on social media. That's definitely amazing. Also, it's like, what are you doing behind the scenes? What are you doing when the world isn't watching what you're doing? What are you doing in private? You know, I think that's, that's big too. It's like, are you doing that same work off of social media where the world can't see you doing it? I've seen this in my program a lot with students. They're really talkative in class and they'll have these conversations, but you know, we'll be sitting outside somewhere, we'll be hanging out and there's an interaction that we see that was racist or not okay. And everyone's quiet. And I'm the person that I don't care who it is. I will say something if I see something being done wrong. We hear this like phrase of silence is compliance. And I think it is. If you are not saying anything and you could, you're adding to the problem. But you're right. Like if we stay silent, then we are just being a part of the problem too. Like not saying anything says a lot in and of itself. So I think that's a really good point that you brought up and thank you for sharing that. Also, I feel like we learned a lot about what we discussed today. We continue to learn a lot from Black people in our life. So we cannot have this conversation without 
mentioning black content creators that we have learned a lot from again they by no means like have to teach us anything but these content creators choose to you know spend their time and energy still trying to educate people even when they don't have to so neelam who are some black content creators that you have learned a lot from on social media i love you know there's Tamoka. India Moore, Yara Shahidi, Brittany Packnett. She posts a lot of informational content and she's also very passionate. I feel like all of these women are passionate. Um, Carrie Washington is one of them. I think Tay Mocha is someone I've recently learned a lot from. She posts a lot of content around breaking down the stigma around sex and women and owning our bodies and feeling empowered to be women and as a black content creator having that intersect with black lives matter and social injustice i think that is such a beautiful intersection and just to see how that looks tay mocha posts like very unfiltered raw pictures of herself of showing up as who she is and unapologetically doing so and I think that's so important and I've noticed a shift in my mental health of who I follow on social media and uh the Rachel Lindsay from Mm -hmm. The Bachelor she was the first black bachelorette also posts a lot of really good content um I'll also link a bunch of other black content creators that uh, we both have learned a lot from in episode notes There's also some South Asian Instagram accounts that are really vocal about sharing content that we just talked about today about anti-Blackness within the South Asian community. So there's one that's uh, at loudmouthlurkies and at paper.samosa. There's also the Ismaili activist page that Neelam, you mentioned to me, and then also South Asians for Black Lives. So I will link all of that in the episode notes too and want to give credit where credit's due that a lot of the information that we have discussed today came from those accounts and we've learned from them. There's a lot to say on this topic, so I feel like we could have a whole podcast just on this topic alone. But um, I really want to hear like, if you have any concluding thoughts that you want to leave with the listeners, what are some last thoughts that you want to share? I think that it's so important to have these conversations. And it's also a reminder for us. And I, it's, not, it's that we're not perfect activists. We're not perfect feminists. We're not perfect people. Um, and I don't think we ever will be perfect people. I think this idea of perfectionism needs to go away. But it's okay to make mistakes. And I think it's only okay to make mistakes if you're willing to learn from them. And if you're willing to learn, then we can move forward in the right direction. Owning up to the fact that there's so much out there that we don't know, and that's okay. And we're constantly learning. And I think as long as we walk this earth with open minds and open hearts, I hope we'll be okay. Take care of yourself. Because if you want to make some sort of impact in this world, you need to be okay to do that. And you can't show up in a productive manner and think that you're going to get anything done if you are not in a good physical, mental, spiritual state to do so. I know me and you could talk hours. And I think you do have an episode on self-care. So it's very (laughs) on-brand. But we could talk about it for hours. And I think that there's a lot of ways to do that. And so there's no right way to do it. But make sure you find a way that works for you. Yeah, I think those are all very lovely points and very wise words. So thank you so much for 
those last thoughts. And lastly, how can people find you? I know we mentioned in the beginning that you are on social media, you like to use your platform to spread messages about conversations like we just had today. Um, you also are a singer, like you mentioned before. So if people want to check you out, how can they do that best? So my Instagram is Neelam underscore Makani. And if you want to follow my music endeavors, that would be very lovely. Um, but you don't have to. Um, but you can find me on Facebook and YouTube as just Neelam. So yeah, if you would like to follow me, that would be wonderful. Yes, thank you for mentioning that. And everyone go show Neelam some love. I will put all of that in the episode notes as well. So if you didn't catch it, you can look there. But thank you so much, Neelam, for your time today. And I really appreciate you sitting down and just being vulnerable and real with me and having this conversation. I know and acknowledge that it was a tough conversation to have. But like I always say, some of the most toughest conversations are the most necessary to have. So I really appreciate your time and energy today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I know we were looking forward to having this conversation so much and I'm so glad we did it. I'm so glad that you're so open and you just have such an amazing energy and I feel like me and you vibe like all the time. So I'm really glad I got to do this. So thank you for having me. Of course. Yes, it was an honor having you on and you are welcome back anytime. As always, I thank you for listening and staying tuned. If you like this episode, feel free to share it with the people in your life. I would also really appreciate if you would subscribe to Synergy Cast on whatever podcast platform you prefer, give it a five-star rating, and leave a good review mentioning what you like about the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram for updates, at SynergyCast, and I have also included that in the episode notes. I have now a new feature, which is a voice memo feature, which I am very excited about. So if you would like to send in your thoughts and your feelings or your personal experiences, feel free to record a voice memo and send it my way. I would love to include your voice in the next podcast episodes. Lastly, if you are willing and able, there is another new feature where you can donate however much money you want to help support Synergy Cast financially. If you do choose to donate, the money would help me pay for several things. It would help me pay for myself, my own energies, my own efforts, and also the money would help pay my future guests, especially people of color, for their time. Since I believe it is very important to compensate people of color, especially for their time and energy, since many BIPOC which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, have a history of being taken advantage of and underpaid or not paid at all for their efforts. So any and all ways you choose to support would be very much appreciated. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes coming your way soon. Stay safe, everyone, and take care.